So we are in a series called Go Eat Popcorn. Um, that title is just to help you remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, which are the letters that we're going to look at that Paul wrote, and we're going to dig in together uh, to those as we work through this in this series. A lot of great topics here, and so far we've talked about salvation and redemption and grace and law and the tension of the now and the not yet. Last week we talked about walking by the Spirit. This week we're going to jump into Galatians 6 and we're going to take a look at being a new creation and what that means. So that's the intro transition, always a bad joke or two or three, and uh, these are quite bad and I appreciate each one. Actual conversation Alice and I were having this week in the car. We were talking about giants in the Bible and what that looks like, and I just sort of worked into that conversation. You know, I said, some people have a fear of giants and that they have a name for it. And she said, what's that? And I said, fee-fi-phobia. I don't know if you can work it into conversation, but if you can. Speaking about fears, I also have a, a fear of elevators, but I'm taking steps to deal with it. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, I know. I know. Uh-oh. My iPad just went out. That's unusual. Once again, the annual uh, ninja parade went through town unnoticed. That was pretty funny, right? No? I can do this without the iPad, but it's much harder. There we go. I think we're okay. Good. So... Let's hop into the scripture reading. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Remember, Paul is um, dealing with an attack on the church that's coming from people from the Jerusalem church. They're known as the Judaizers who think they know more than everybody else. And they're convinced that in order to be really saved, you have to follow the law uh, and, in effect, that the Gentile converts needed to be circumcised. And Paul absolutely refutes that and says, not even close to the case. Uh, the outward stuff isn't important. What matters is what's happened on the inside. And he goes on to say here, so it's all about being a new creation. That's what counts. So what is he talking about? What is a new creation? That's point number one. What's a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That verse is true for all believers. Uh, the old uh, things have passed away and new things have come. In Christ, we are indeed new creations. But the problem we have is we don't always feel like new creations. And that's the struggle. And that's why we need to hold into uh, balance the, the tension of the now and the not yet and why we've talked about that. And, and so we are new creations, but it doesn't always feel that way. This, uh, yesterday we had a baptism. It was great, out of Bay Honda. We baptized 12, I think. It might have been 14, but I've got to get that number. But it was, we had a great time. Anyway, I was, I was here at the church very early doing some things, and then I drove out to Bay Honda 
to go to the baptism. I'm in my Kia Soul. It's a beautiful morning. It's going to be a beautiful day. I'm ha- I like doing baptism. I'm excited about that. I have the worship music on. I'm heading to the beach. And uh, I'm doing the speed limit. Uh, that's what I do. I drive the speed limit. If you lived here, generally after a while, you drive the speed limit too. It just makes sense. And I have a nice distance between me and the car in front of me. And we're all traveling at the same speed. And, and it's a nice distance. I don't want to be too close to anybody in case they decide they're going to look at the ocean or something. Lots of room for that's happening. And so I'm listening to worship music. All is well. When I look into my rearview mirror, there's a pickup truck back there. It's red. And uh, it's literally this close to my bumper. And I'm not pleased. I don't know how you feel about that. And, and, and so things start to happen in my brain. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I, I know what's happening here is the pickup truck is trying to intimidate me and my Kia Soul to fill the gap a little. But the gap doesn't need to be filled. It's a perfectly reasonable gap and it's for everybody's safety. And... Uh, I have this next thought that flashes in my brain. I don't know if you've ever seen Seinfeld. So just so you know what goes out on you here, George Costanza's father is is interesting. And there's this one show where he starts yelling out, so you think you're better than me? (laughs) And that's what I'm thinking to the... I want to... You think you're better than me? And that passes. And choices I have to make now because I got the worship music on and uh, and I, what would Jesus do? Yeah, old part of me thinking this. I'm about to come up to the two lanes there on the bridge where I know and I know this problem is going to resolve itself very shortly. I can't tell you how much of me wanted to just stay in front of that truck and split that lane. <laughs> But I didn't do it. Just stayed in my lane. See, I'm a new creation, but I'm very comfortable with the fact that I'm in process. Because I'm hoping at some point, that thought doesn't even plague me. Who cares? But it's still there, right? So we're we're in process. It's a tension, and we need to understand that. I'm a new creation, but I'm in process. And, And so we talked about salvation here. And I said, remember, we are saved. We're being saved. We will be saved justification, sanctification, glorification. It's a process, and we have to walk this life out in that process. And so Paul wants us to know that as we think about what it means to be a new creation. But it's often a struggle. So, second thing I want to talk about is this, with that in mind, is that as a new creation, we're supposed to live a life that pleases God. That's point number two. A life that pleases God. Remember, in the very beginning of this series, I, I said this. I want you to see that this, this life in Christ is lived in response to what he's done for us, not in us trying to live in such a way to get him to respond to us. That was the battle that was going on in the early church. They, people were trying the second part instead of understanding the first part. Because of all he's done for us, we're to live in a way that pleases him. We're not trying to earn anything. We're, we're trying to live this life in a way that pleases him so we can experience life fully. And in these letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, what Paul is doing is he's just giving us all the tools that we need so we can live that kind of amazing life in him, full and abundant now and forever life in Christ. No matter what your circumstances. And, and see, I, I think sometimes we struggle here because we're, we're not always sure how to deal with difficult circumstances in our lives. 
And, and, and Paul is saying, look, even when life is, is difficult, because you will be in a fallen world on a broken planet, I still want you to be able to experience joy, and I want you to know the peace that God has for us and to continue this full life. So I want to look quickly at a story about the Apostle Paul going through a difficult time. And this is actually in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, Luke writes the book of Acts. Luke and Paul hung out quite a bit on the missionary journey. So Luke is writing about Paul's experiences. And, and when Paul is in Philippi, at some point in time, he comes under great attack. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, when you think about this story, Paul and Silas receive a, a horrific beating, not only from the crowd, but, but ultimately from the authorities. They were stripped and flogged. And, and bruised and bloodied, they're tossed into prison. The, the most inner cell and their feet are put in stocks. If it were me, I think I would be having some sort of discussion with God about what in the world's going on. I was doing your thing. I was preaching. How could I possibly be here in prison? What could be the part of this? That, uh, maybe you wouldn't be like that, but I'm pretty sure I would be whining quite a bit in that process. And yet, what are Paul and Silas doing? They begin to praise and worship God in song from the depths of the prison. Just like that song we were singing. And they sing a little louder, right? Sing a li- and, and, and as they're singing and praising, and all the prisoners now are engaged in that. They're all listening to that. It's in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake And the results of this earthquake are that all the prison doors fly open and all the chains come flying off the prisoners. Quite a specific earthquake. Um, Now, here's what Luke is setting you up for, is that that, I think most of us, if we were in that situation, particularly if we were jailed, you know, for things we hadn't done, and all of a sudden everything opened, like I'm thinking 100-yard dash. I don't know about you. And then another one and another one and another one. But they stay there. And all the prisoners stay there too. Why? They're just trying to process what's happened with all this thing. And here these guys who are beaten and bloodied. And they're just, start, they're just singing to God. And something happens. The presence of God comes in an amazing way. And the jailer comes rushing in. And he comes rushing in. He's ready to kill himself because he's in big trouble. Because he's sure everybody's gone. And Paul says, oh, everything's all right. We're still all here. And what does he do? He falls down. And in effect, he says... I don't know what you got, but I want it really, really bad. 
And they say, well, you just need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you can have this kind of life too. It's really amazing. But what you need to see there is that how God redeems this very difficult story in Paul's life and how he takes it and he weaves it into his story, his story, and he makes something amazing come out of it. See, that's what he does with our lives. He's constantly weaving those things in there. We go through hard times. We're not sure what's going to happen. We don't care for them. But, but if we just trust in God, he can take those things and work them into the bigger story somehow. And there's something that, that we can find in that that allows us to have joy and peace. And the problem, the struggle that we have is we're, we're somewhat convinced that, that if we're doing things that we're supposed to do, then we shouldn't have any difficulties in our life. And that's not how it works. It's a fallen world and a broken planet. We're, we're not doing this so that we, we get that. We're doing this in response to what he's already done. Never reduce Christianity to a formula that's A plus B and then God does C. Don't do it. Don't reduce it to a set of rules because what will happen is if you reduce it to a set of rules, it ceases to be good news. This is a relationship that Jesus invites us into. And that's where we find life, is in this relationship. And, and, and so he says, you know what he says? He says, he, I am the way. Jesus says that. He doesn't say, come follow me and I'll show you the way. He says, I am the way. And what he means by that is it's not a set of rules that you can check off so that you got everything right. It's a relationship. And that relationship is built by reading his word and yielding to the Holy Spirit. And engaging with him in our lives. That's where we find life. And that's what we're supposed to do in this process to engage with him. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. And this is the third point is that Jesus makes everything new. Jesus is making everything new. Point number three. Okay. Sip of coffee. Because you need to listen to this. I've been telling you throughout this study how amazing the scripture is. And, and I want you to read it in that light. This isn't a, too many people read it as a rule book and they find it boring. It's not a rule book. It's a, it's a truth book. And, and God says things about him and he th- says things about us and we're to take it and we're to read it and we're to understand it by faith and we're to allow it to change us as we yield to the spirit. And he is constantly in this book weaving things into this story in ways that bring life and redemption. So I want, you to, I want to talk about this, and I'm going to call it garden to garden to garden so that you can remember it and you can see what's going on. So we look at three gardens. So way back in Genesis, a garden is created, and we find out that Adam is a gardener. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's a nice way of saying Adam is a gardener. After Adam sins, there are two consequences that directly impact his gardening. Uh, Genesis 3, 17 through 19, you can read the scripture, but the, the two things there are, it says, by the sweat of his brow, Adam would now earn his bread, and also the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles. So that's that garden. Now, another garden you know of as the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where the suffering of Jesus begins. And you need to understand that Jesus is a new Adam. And I told you before, a few weeks ago, when we looked at the suppers, he's setting things right in the process. We'll look at this in Luke 22, 44. It says, being in anguish, Jesus, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
So he wasn't, some people say he was, he was, you know, bleeding. He wasn't. He was sweating. The picture was they were like these big drops on his brow. And what Luke is trying to say there is that, that by that sweat is he is purchasing for us, in effect, the bread of life. Because that was part of the problem, the consequence. And then the other curse that was on him was that there would also be thorns and thistles. Well, do you remember the Romans that uh, the Roman guards twisted together a crown of thorns? And they place it on Jesus' head. Well, also on the brow. And there on his brow, he takes on the consequences of Adam's sin. The sweat and, and the thorns are placed on him. He's taking literally the consequences of Adam's sin upon himself. And then it goes on. And, and when Adam sinned, it says his eyes were open and he was naked. And so he hid because he was ashamed. The sin, the consequence of the sin. And, and so... Uh, when Jesus goes to the cross, he's stripped naked. He's taking on that shameful nakedness of Adam. He's taking it on himself in a very public and real way. And it also says in Genesis 3.15, you know the verse, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That when he was crucified, that the way it was done was that that nail would be driven through his heels. Again, he's taking on the consequences of Adam's sin. Do you remember how God made a bride for Adam? Is that he puts Adam to sleep and then he causes a wound in his side and he takes material out of it. Let me read it. Genesis 2.21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. So he puts Adam to sleep. He, he takes the, the rib out. He takes the substance he needs. He creates the bride to give to Adam. When Adam wakes up, he, God presents him with the bride. Well, think about this. Jesus is on the cross. When Jesus dies, something significant happens. And a Roman soldier walks up with a spear and pierces his side to see if he's dead. And out of his side comes material, blood and water. Well, God takes that material to create for Adam a new bride, which is us, the blood to purchase us and the water to wash us and make us pure. And Jesus dies and he goes into the cross. When he defeats death and rises again, something amazing happens. Waiting there is a person. Now, it's a, this person is a representative of the bride. She's not actually the bride. But she's a representative. A redeemed person is standing there, and her name is Mary Magdalene. And look at the encounter in John 20, verse 14 and 15. After this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, where have we seen that? He said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. On resurrection morning, here's the one chosen to represent the bride. He calls her woman, just like back in Genesis 2. He says, why are you weeping? In effect, wiping the tears from her eyes. He says, you don't need to cry anymore. I've restored the garden to you. See, and Mary thinks, it says, thinks he's a gardener, when in fact he is. He's the new gardener. And he's making everything new. And he's bringing restoration. And he's redeemed the garden relationship that we had. He's dealt with our sin and our shame and our guilt. And he's given us again the promise of intimacy with God. See, 
Adam, the first Adam, turned his garden into a grave. But the new Adam turns his grave into a garden. That's the difference. See, that's what this thing is all about. That's why I keep telling you to dig in. And the significance of that is, take this in. See, if you see how, how Jesus is actually taking the things of Adam upon himself and setting them right. Well, here's the thing. If he's doing that for Adam, don't you think he can do that for us? He can take all of the mess of our lives. He's going to take all of that mess on himself and redeem it all. See, he's, he's the new Adam, but he's more than that. He's the new Steve. He's the new Alice. He's the new Gina. He's the new Robert. That's what he's doing. He's the new you. You are new creations because of what Jesus has done for you. And you need to hang on to that in your life so that you can remember no matter what's taking place, that God is with you and that God is for you and that he's made a way for you. And he wants you to live a life, amazing life, now and forever. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what's coming at you, he's with you, he's for you, he's got you. And he loves you. And he wants to take your story and redeem it in his. That's where we find life. And that's what's been going on throughout Galatians. Next week, we start Ephesians. That's a good place to end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got stuff to think about. Ministry team, why don't you head over to the wall? People on the way over there are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. Let me pray for you as a group. And then we'll dismiss. Have breakfast. Papa, thank you for your goodness to us and your love for us. You're such an awesome, awesome God. And, and Papa, I pray that we would know this love you have for us, this life that you have for us, that we would see your word in, in, in the way that you've given it to us and that we would just run to it and we would yield to your spirit in order to experience life, to impact the world around us for you, that you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area, that hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray again this morning for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome, awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, the folks over there will pray for you. Healing, relationship, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that today too. It's the best decision you will ever make. It's, it's humility and faith. And humility is just getting before God and, and admitting that you're broken, just like all of us, you've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you what you do. And then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you have never prayed a prayer like that, do it today. It is absolutely the best decision you will ever make in your life. If you need help, just go and ask somebody. Just say, hey, I want to know Jesus. They'll know what you mean. They'll help you with that prayer. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I would encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay and have breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided today. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible. Draw people in for the 11 o'clock service, God. You are amazing. Praise God from whom.